So have you ever been on the edge of your seat? You know, a little, a little nervous, a little anxious. It hasn't been that long ago that the whole world was kind of on the, the edge of their seat. There were people that were filled with this sense of anticipation and excitement. There were some people who were about ready to, to shout with anger and, and some others who were ready to cower in fear. There were some who were ready to, to cheer and some who were ready to weep. And all of this over just one guy. Just one guy. And his history is unpredictable, so people were thinking, well, what's he going to do? What kind of message is he going to have for the world? And of course, I'm talking about Puxatawney Phil. On February 2nd, the seer of seers, the prognosticator of prognosticators, emerged reluctantly but alertly, and he said in Groundhog Ease, I definitely see a shadow. Yes, I would beat you in 90s movie trivia. Pete Philly says we're going to have six more weeks of winter. So what does that mean? Well, for us, that means that the temperatures are going to drop into the, the chilling area of somewhere near the high 50s. So we really should be careful for the next few weeks of winter. But what if there really was a big winter storm coming our way? You know, what, what, would, what would it be like, you know? What would we need to do to prepare? What would we need to do to get ready? Well, at ready.gov, FEMA and some other government agencies have given some things for us to consider, a, a list that some of us have heard before. They tell you to be sure that you have an emergency kit, a first aid kit. They'll tell you to be sure that you've got plenty of, of non-perishable food and, and bottled water. They'll tell you to have a, a family communication plan, to have flashlights and batteries, to have warm clothes and, and blankets, make sure your pets are safe, all these kind of things. And, and some of us have done those things before. I came across some, some other tips that maybe you can add to your list of, of storm prep from a guy who calls himself Joey Hack. Joey says we should stock up on jokes about milk and bread. He says you're going to want cutting fresh-edge jokes so that yours can stand out on social media. That's not enough just to say, oh, I'm going to get milk and bread. You, you need to have a good joke about it. He also says you should winterize your house. He says, you know what, cover the entire house with a styrofoam teepee. If it's good enough for your outdoor faucet, surely it should be good enough to cover your whole house. Just get a whole teepee for your house. Good advice. He also says you need to prepare entertainment. Remember, if your power goes out, you won't be able to access programming on your TV, your radios, Netflix, or even your old Magnum PI DVDs. So you need to prepare for some non-electric-based entertainment. And he says maybe you should go buy some puppets. So there's something for you to do. But what if it wasn't just a, a snowstorm, you know? What if it wasn't just a winter storm? What if it was something bigger in your life? What if there was something more important that you need to be prepared for? Something bigger that you need to be ready for? Bigger than Valentine's Day? Bigger than March Madness? Bigger than what's waiting for you later at the house? Bigger than what's waiting for you at school or at work tomorrow or at the doctor? What is the most important thing that you need to prepare for in your life? What is it that you most need to be ready for? Well, Jesus is going to help us answer that question, looking at Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 35. This is what Jesus says. Be dressed in 
readiness. Jesus has given his closest followers some instructions about how they need to live their lives on a daily basis. And he begins by saying they need to be dressed and they need to be ready. Now, this isn't the same as, you know, someone asking their teenage daughter to run to the gas station with them and giving her a five-hour advance notice so she can be ready to go to the gas station. That's not the kind of be ready we're talking about here. This is the kind of be ready that says ready for action. Be ready for action. Other places in the Bible, the phrase that's used here is gird up your loins. See, they didn't have parachute pants and carpenter jeans back in the day, so, so even the men had these kind of long tunics. And what they had to do was, was kind of reach down and pull up their tunic in between their legs and shove it down in their belt or their sash so that their legs would be free to run. And so Jesus is telling his followers, he said, you need to be dressed and you need to be ready to run. You need to be ready to serve. You need to be ready to help. You need to be ready to teach. You need to be ready to give. You need to be ready to serve. In fact, what you need to do is you need to be ready to do anything. Jesus is not saying be ready to go home and, and sit on the sofa and watch TV. Be, be ready to just do nothing. He's not saying be ready to selfishly cling to your money. He's not saying be ready to let someone else volunteer. He's saying be ready even to use your leisure time for something that's not leisure. I know a doctor in Latin America that when he has his vacation time, he and his family take their vacation and they use it to be guides and translators for mission teams who come to their country to help out. And so Jesus in his language is saying, be ready, Christian, to serve. Be ready to work. Be ready to be a person of the gospel. Don't wait for an announcement on Sunday morning. Don't wait for an announcement in the bulletin of their newsletter. Don't call the pastor or the church staff to be your hands and your feet. Be ready. Be ready to run. Be ready to serve. Be ready. Be ready to be a gospel person that loves and serves and gives wherever you go at any time and any place. Jesus says, be dressed and be ready. And then he says this in the next part of verse 35. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. We have a night light that's plugged into the hallway where most of our bedrooms are. And we have a nightlight that's in the, the range over our stove, and we keep those nightlights on at night. Well, why do we do that? Well, we do that because every now and then somebody might have to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom, or somebody might get sick and need to get some medicine, or, or somebody might get hungry and need to go to the kitchen and get some bacon. That might just be me. I don't know if the kids are eating my bacon or not. I'll find out. But, but that little bit of light, it, it helps you see just enough to get where you're going to, to turn a light switch on. Now, in ancient times, they didn't have electric nightlights. And so if they had a guest arriving at their house later at night, they would need to maybe leave one oil lamp burning in their house. They wanted to be ready when their guest arrived. They didn't want to be in the dark. They wanted to be ready to quickly help. But that would mean that their oil lamp would have to have some oil in it. And their wick would have to be long enough to keep burning. If they just had a little bit of oil in the lamp and their wick was just a shred of nothing, then, then the lamp was going to burn out and they'd be left in the dark and they wouldn't be able to do anything. On another day, Jesus said this to his disciples, Matthew 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. If you're a Christian, you are the light of the world. And that's, that's a little bit intimidating at first thought, right? I mean, what if I were to tell you, you are the doctor of the world? 
Just you. You're, you're the doctor of the world. And everybody in the world is going to come to your little clinic that's in your backyard every time they get sick. I mean, that sounds kind of intimidating. But what if I were to go on to tell you there are two billion other doctors of the world? So there's two billion other doctors who will be caring for people in their little clinics in their backyard. See, Jesus is telling them to, to be ready, but he's telling them that they are also supposed to be ready to be a light, that their very purpose in life is to be a light. If you are a Christian, your purpose in life is to be a light. That's your purpose. That's why you're here, to be a light. What kind of light? Well, to be a light of the gospel, to be a gospel light. Well, what kind of light is that? This is how Paul told the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God said, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is why John Newton wrote, I once was blind, but now I see. Because the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shone into his dark, wicked, rebellious heart and he was able to see. This Wednesday night in Bible study, I watched a grown man weeping because he still can't get over that he can see. He still can't get over that the gospel has captured his heart and he is saved. In a sense, we're maybe a little more of a, a lamp than a light. The, the lamp is us. The, the light is our salvation. And so the, the light that's shining through us is, is not us. It's, it's God shining through us so that the world will see that there really is a way to be rescued and saved. There really is a way to be satisfied. So what kind of lamp are you? Just think back over the last week. What, what kind of lamp have you been this week? What kind of light have you been able to shine? Look, we're not perfect. We're all going to mess up. We're not all going to get everything right. But just generally speaking, have people been able to see, as, as anyone, your family, your friends, Somebody you know at church, has anybody been able to see that you still can't get over that you've seen the light? That you still can't believe that you're saved? And why does it matter if anybody would see that? This is what Paul said to the church at Philippi. Do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining and questioning and doubting that you may show yourselves to be bright lights, stars, beacons, shining out clearly in the dark world. Just think about your life right now. Who are you grumbling at or grumbling with? Who are you criticizing? Who are you nitpicking? What are you whining and complaining about that, that you won't stop? Who is it that you're giving kind of the cold shoulder to? What, what is it about your life that looks more like grumbling, fault-finding, and complaining, and questioning, and doubting than trusting? Listen, the world does not need those things from us. They have plenty. The world is a very, very dark place. They do not need our criticism. 
They do not need our whining. They do not need our complaining. They do not need our grumbling. They need the light of the gospel. And we have that light in Jesus Christ shining inside of us. The world needs that light. Dale Moody said this, Out of a hundred men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. So what are people reading in us during the week? What are they seeing? Jesus tells us to be dressed and to be ready so that our lamps will be lit and so that we will at any time, in any place, be ready to be a light of the gospel in a dark, dark world. His instructions are simple. And he really wants us to get this because he goes on a little farther and, and gives us another picture. He wants us to, just to sink in inside of us, but he wants it also to sink in that this is a bigger picture that sometimes we miss. Look what he says in the next part of verse 36. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. In ancient times, a wedding celebration would, would last like maybe a week. And at any given time, the bride and groom might stand up and say, Hey, thanks for coming, everybody. We really appreciate you. Thanks for the gifts, especially the, the peanut butter maker, man. We love it. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming. It's great. Hope you have a great night. We love you, and we are out of here. And they leave, and they go off to start their life together. And the servants at their home, they don't know when they're coming home. They don't know when they're going to be back. So they need to have their lamps lit. They, they need to be ready so that whenever the bride and groom come home, they're, they're ready to help out. They're ready to serve them. Now, because generally speaking in our society, weddings don't last a week, and because unless there's something about you I don't know, none of us have servants waiting at our house when we get home from our honeymoon, I thought I'd give us a little more helpful example to think through what Jesus is saying here. Jeff Thomas writes this, Imagine the, royals, the Royal Rolls Royce, that's a mouthful, the Royal Rolls Royce limousines carrying the Queen and her family back to Buckingham Palace from their country estate, and then when they arrive at the palace at midnight, the whole place is in darkness. Seems strange. He goes on, no policemen on duty, no sentries in the sentry boxes, all the gates and doors locked and padlocked, everyone asleep when the queen and her family arrive, no one to welcome them. And then he says, and then the queen turns to Philip and says, Philip, do you have a key? <laughs> See, that wouldn't happen to the queen, right? Hours before Jesus was crucified, this is what he said to his friends. I will come again. Jesus is coming again. Every single prophecy about Jesus that was made hundreds of years before he was born, every single one of them came perfectly true. Every single thing he said about his own death and his own resurrection, all of it came perfectly true. So we have every reason to believe, every reason to be totally confident that everything that he said about his return will come perfectly true. Jesus is coming again. So how will he find us? Will he find us dressed and ready and serving? Will he find us with our lamps lit? Will he find us being his light? Will he find us serving others and being ready to serve others at any given moment? Or will he find us on the sofa? 
Will he find us, you know, eating Oreos and, and watching Matlock? Will he find us grumbling or criticizing or nitpicking? Will he find us keeping sinful score against the people in our lives? Will he find us whining and complaining in such a way that we really can't even see that we've ever known Jesus? How will he find us? And when is Jesus coming back? Well, this is what he said about that. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Of that day and hour, no one knows. No one knows. So when Jesus says, be ready, what he doesn't mean is go sell everything that you have and then go move to Jerusalem and live on a hill with some rapture hippies and some tents, you know, and y'all all share one toothbrush and, you know, just, yeah, yeah, go do that. That's not what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says, be ready, when Jesus says, keep your lamp lit, when Jesus says, be ready when the master comes home, He's simply saying this, be the light. Be the light right now. Be the light where you are. Be the light at home. Be the light at school. Be the light at work. Be the light at church. Be be the light at the restaurant after church. Be the light at the game. Be the light at the mall. Be the light on social media. Be the light in traffic. Be the light. Now again, are any of us going to be perfect lights? No, we are not. We're not going to be perfect lights. But, but the picture that Jesus is always drawing us back to is what's normally seen in our lives. Not, not when we're having a season of struggle. Not when we're discouraged or down. But what's the normal pattern of our lives? Is the normal pattern of our lives such that we really do want to serve people? That in word and deed and our attitude, we are really trying to do everything we can to draw attention to Jesus. What kind of lamp are we? What do people read when they look in our lives? I'm not trying to give you tickets for a guilt trip as much as I'm trying to help us see the treasures of the gospel. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, he gave his life for you. His love is amazing. He died to satisfy the just and right penalty of my sin and of your sin. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. If you've been saved, then Jesus has a a very simple message for you. And the message is this, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you have received salvation, then let your light shine. If you've received the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ, then love people and serve people right now in such a way that they think that you believe that Jesus is coming again. That when Jesus says, be ready, that that you get it. That there's a day, it's coming, and I don't know when that is, but today I'm going to love and serve people so that they might see the light of the gospel. That's my purpose. I am supposed to be a light. But why should you do that? Well, because right now in your neighborhood, right now at work, at school, wherever you are, right now in different places of the world, and look, let's not be foolish, right now, even probably in this room, there is someone who is lost and not found. There is someone who is blind, who cannot see. They are in the grips of eternal darkness. And and when we 
are letting the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shine through our lives, then we are providing an opportunity for them to see the amazing, unchanging love of God. And it all happens through the person of Jesus. So the reason we're supposed to be a light is because we're the ones who can't get over that we've been saved and we want someone else to know that same experience. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. If you're here and you're one of those people, you, you know, your heart would be honest with you, that if you wake up on the other side of death, you will be separated from God, not together with God. We, we plead with you to come to Christ, to turn to Jesus. For the, for the sake of your own joy and for the sake of your, your soul, that you would come to Jesus today because he is coming again. Turn to him. Repent and find life. Jesus says, be ready. Keep your lamp lit. Be serving and be ready to serve. And then he just kind of blows our minds. Look what he says in verse 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. I truly say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. All right, imagine the same scene with the queen from earlier. Queen and Philip come home. Everybody's on mark. Everybody's exactly where they're supposed to be. And the queen gets out of the limousine and, and she tells them, I want, I want all the servants to gather in the dining room. And I want them to, to sit in the rooms around there until everybody has somewhere to sit. And then she goes to the kitchen after midnight and she makes everybody at the palace, all, all the servants, she makes them a midnight snack. And then she goes out and she serves them after she gets home. You know what? That, that's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> that, that's not the way it's supposed to work at the palace. And yet, here's Jesus saying that's exactly what he's going to do. That for those who are faithful to him, for those who are ready, for those who are dressed, for those who keep their lamp lit, for those who are loving and serving and doing everything they can to be a light of the gospel on the good days and the bad days, in sickness and health, when everything is great and when everything is awful, the ones who are leaning on and leaning on and leaning on Jesus, Jesus says, I will come serve you. I love how Spurgeon says it, the captain of of our souls will come and say, let me serve you. The king of all kings bringing his love directly to us. It's interesting because a little later, Jesus actually did that on earth for his disciples. But his promise is that if he finds us ready, that he will come and serve us. That is amazing love. That is unchanging love. But what if he comes and finds someone not dressed and ready? What if he finds their lamp not lit? What would Jesus say to them? Well, over in Matthew, we find out. Matthew 25, verse 41. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, that's no Hallmark card, right? I mean, that sounds kind of harsh. Why, why in the world would Jesus say something like that? Well, he goes on to tell us why. Verse 42 and 43. For I was hungry, 
and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And the people that were not ready, the people that were not dressed, the people who were, did not have their lamps lit, they responded to Jesus just like almost every single one of us have at least once this week. What? Me? No, Jesus, I, I, think you, I think you got me confused with somebody. That, that wasn't me. They said, Lord, when did we see you hungrier or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we did not take care of you? When, when, I don't remember not doing that. When, Jesus, when? And this is what Jesus says he will say in return. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who is being overlooked and ignored, someone that you knew was in need, then you failed to do it to me. There's a huge purpose behind Jesus telling his followers, be ready, be dressed, keep your lamp lit, be serving, be ready to serve, and, and be stunned and amazed that your king, when he finds you faithful, will come and serve you. And then he says one more thing. Look at verse 38. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. Love that word blessed. Blessed, happy, full of joy, satisfied. The people that Jesus was just talking with, they they weren't satisfied with the life they were living, and they surely were not going to be satisfied once they hear what Jesus said to them. But Jesus says, look, you, you don't know when the master's coming. You just don't know. You have no idea. And that's a, a little bit of a, a conflict for us sometimes as Christians, right? You ever had anybody say to you, well, I mean, I know Jesus said he was coming back, but it's been 2,000 years. I mean, is he lost does he not know the way? Are you sure your religion is something you want to believe in? People have always refuted the words of Jesus. And Peter responded to that actual argument this way. 2 Peter verse three, chapter 3, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. So on God's calendar, it's been two days since the crucifixion. On God's calendar, it's been two days since the resurrection. On God's calendar, it's been two days since his son came back home. So what seems long to us does not seem long to God. And so even though we might have to listen to the world say, I don't know, can, can you really trust a God that's waited that long? My answer would also be this. Yeah, I can trust a God who will keep waiting for arrogant, prideful, stubborn, rebellious, wicked sinners like me to come to faith. Yeah, I'll wait. I'll wait. I can trust that God. And if he continues to tarry until I die, then when I die, I'll be with him. See, I can trust that God. I can trust that God. His timing, his ways, everything about him is perfect. 
J.C. Rouse says this, Are we ourselves living as if we were ready for the second coming of Christ? Well would it be if this question were put to our consciences more frequently. It might keep us back from many a false step in our daily life. It might prevent many a backsliding. Don't miss that. Let me, let me try to rephrase that a little bit. That if we think diligently about the return of Jesus, it will actually help our lives. <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds overly simplified, but, but it's true. If we can remember that Jesus is coming again, then every problem, every trial, every trouble, every discouragement, every moment of depression, we can keep going back and say, wait a minute, his love is amazing and unchanging. And unchanging means everything in this situation has changed, but he hasn't. His love hasn't changed. So I can trust him. I can rely on him. I can lean on him. He goes on to say, the true Christian should not only believe in Christ and love Christ, he should also look and long for Christ appearing. If he cannot say from his heart, come Lord Jesus, there must be something wrong about his soul. So love, my friend Quincy, just for one Sunday morning invocation 15, 16 years ago. He stood up that morning in front of the church and he prayed. And when he finished his prayer, he said, Lord Jesus, come. And it rattled me. What do you mean, come? Oh, 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 I know what you mean. That, that's how we're supposed to be thinking. Jesus, Jesus, come. You are the culmination of everything that would satisfy us. If I miss the game, if I miss the surgery, if I miss the wedding, if I miss the birthday, it's okay if I get you. If I get you because your love is amazing and your love is unchanging and everything else changes and nothing else is amazing very long. Come, Lord Jesus, so that there will not be something wrong about your soul. That's a good word. Let us be the kind of Christians. There's nothing wrong about our souls. Let us be ready. Let us be dressed. Let us have our lamps lit. Let us be serving and, and ready to serve. Let us be ready. There's something very true about an old, old, old saying. Some of you heard it. I've used it several times in sermons before. You'll hear it again because it never gets old for my heart to hear. Only one life, which will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life for every single one of us. Only one life, and it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. What an amazing honor and privilege we have to be a child of the King, to be loved with amazing love, to be loved with unchanging love, and to be loved in such a way that we have a light to shine. Let us be ready. Let us be ready.